You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Back in the book of Habakkuk, back in Habakkuk, uh, this morning, getting close to the end of the book, I originally thought, well, three chapters, about three weeks or so, maybe four in Habakkuk. This is their sixth week now, and we're not done. We'll have next week as well. Seven, the number of completion. There you go. It's all planned out. Uh, this is Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 through 16, verse, uh, page 935 in your pew Bible, if you want to follow along there. So Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigayanoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran, His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered... The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheaf Sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It's lifted, it lifted its hand on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped. As the, at the march flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Grass withers, flower fades, 
The word of our God stands forever. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, uh, mercy is when compassion or forgiveness is shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Mercy is when compassion or forgiveness is shown to someone whenever the person showing it has all the power and I would say even possibly the right to inflict punishment or harm. Intrinsic within the idea of mercy is that there isn't anything necessarily preventing uh, the punishment within the individual. Only that the one with the power and with the authority to punish refrains from doing all that they could do. If, if, if he can punish you, if they can bring about their uh, a great condemnation upon you, a sentence upon you, and then they, they withdraw, that is mercy. It isn't that the person uh, deserved it. It was that the one in power decided to be merciful. Well, this morning we, we find ourselves in this wonderful prayer of Habakkuk. And it's a beautiful example of the prayer of faith in the Bible. Next week, Lord willing, we'll finish Habakkuk and we'll look at verses 17 through 19, I believe, the end of the book. And it's, it's power-packed. Just those three verses are, are beautiful. And we'll get to kind of the conclusion of Habakkuk's prayer. But this morning, we're looking at this longer opening of um, Habakkuk's prayer question probably as I tried to read it, Shagayanoth right there, verse 1. Do you want me to tell you what that means? No one knows. <laughs> no one knows what Shagayanoth means. It's, it's in another place, the Psalter. It's used probably as a musical term. Like Habakkuk is possibly writing this prayer out intentionally beautifully. Uh, there's all kinds of, of chiastic, chiastic, chiasm structure within Habakkuk, which you don't know what that, it doesn't matter. But Habakkuk has laid this book out artistically. And so Habakkuk, this prayer, um, you know, we, we often really elevate um, just kind of sporadic prayer. But the Bible has a tradition of recorded prayer. Habakkuk is, is attempting and is writing this down meaningfully with his lines. And so he's saying this is to be set to Shagayanoth. This is it to be music. So he's writing out this prayer. But verse 2 really sets the tone for the prayer. There's this request. It's really the, the opening request. And these next 12 verses we go through aren't requests. It's just an expression, a remembering, a trembling before the greatness of God. He opens up with this request. It is Remember, we've just finished chapter 2 a few weeks ago where woe is going to come upon the Babylonians. God has spoken that woe will come to those who defy him and those who destroy his people. Now, the, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, God, in fact, is raising them up. They are a tool actually in God's hand that God has appointed for this destruction but the Babylonians, the Chaldeans themselves, are going to experience God's destruction because of their own rebellion. God, it doesn't liberate them just because God has raised them up 
for the purpose of bringing judgment upon his people. It doesn't liberate them from their own transgressions. Destruction is coming their way as well. And when, when Habakkuk hears this, you see verse 20 in chapter 2. All of this woe is coming. But he says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent. God is in his temple. God is doing his purposes. God is working out his justice. And we as his creatures are silenced before him. And so that sets this tone. And so he, he prays, he prays here um, that God would, in the midst of these years, he says, Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work, O oh Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, and he's meaning basically in the midst of all of this that's going on, in this time, in the midst of the years, make this known, in wrath, remember mercy. What causes our speechlessness today? And you ever have those moments? I mean, I assume everyone does as God's creatures. You walk out and, and you might see a beautiful sunset or might see our sunrise. I, I, I said we're east and west. You might see a beautiful sunset or a beautiful sunrise. Does Darren know where he is? Yeah, you might see a beautiful sunrise. And, and, and actually, that's one of the interesting things. Facebook is often filled. People will have a beautiful sunset or a sunrise. They'll take a picture of it and they'll share it. And there's a sense of just wonder that comes out of a time like that. Um, watching kids grow up, there's, there's, I was texting with an individual just last night about the, the change in, in, in the lives of an individual. And there are times when you see a kid like make a big transition and you're just kind of like, you're just, you're left in awe of this little person that just develops and grows and all of a sudden takes on a personality and all the, and it, it, you're just kind of left in wonder at, at all the things that, that God is doing, that you're just kind of left speechless. Lilacs, believe it or not, I mean, if you see the mailman, he's not lost in the bushes sometimes. I, that I have my certain lilacs that I always walk by every spring, and like a bit of an interesting person, I'll stop and just smell the lilacs for a while. Don't tell my boss, okay? I don't stay there that long. Because there's just something about how does God take dirt and seed and then grows wood and then it becomes a flower that smells so amazing. I don't, how does, those, it's, it's, a, it's a wonder. But that sense of wonder and awe, that, that's an idea of greatness, of holiness that captures us when that happens. That's what fills Habakkuk's prayer here, faith and the God of this greatness. He begins with this request, and then he, begins, and he launches into a recounting of the history of God's greatness. And the description Habakkuk gives um, are awesome. You can look back in Exodus, if you have your Bible out, you can go back to Exodus chapter 19. It's the second book of your Bible, Exodus 19. Uh, you're familiar with it, but it is interesting to look back and you can hear some of the reflection that Habakkuk has in, in regards to the greatness, the awesomeness of this God. Exodus chapter 19, verse 9, the Lord says to Moses, this is at Mount Sinai, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow 
Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. For whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people, consecrated the people. They washed their garments. He said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the third day, holiness, we could talk about that. Ask me later. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. This is the imagery of God showing up at Mount Sinai, this awesome present, the presence. The smoke goes up like a kiln. It's wrapped around the mountain. The mountain actually trembles. God and, and Habakkuk, is, these are the things he's talking about. Verse, middle of verse 3, his splendor covered the heavens. The earth is full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. I mean, don't try this, but you can't look into the sun. It's too bright. His, God's brightness is that kind of a brightness, so bright it's impossible to even look at. Rays like lightning flash from his hand. And, and he says that in these incredible acts, God was veiling his power. That was him veiling his power. That wasn't him on full expression. That's him veiling his power. God stands over the earth and measures it. Think about if I were to get this little stand at this table here and get a measuring tape and I'd stand over it and measure it, God stands over the earth and he measures it. He takes its span. God in his greatness is over top of all of these things. He is big enough to understand and define all of existence. Think of the greatness of these mountain ranges. Habakkuk writes about them as eternal mountains, everlasting hills. Now, he's not a materialist, uh, in thinking that uh, matter is eternal. It's not what he's saying, that mountains have been here forever and they will be forever. He's just saying that from, from that human perspective, mountains might as well be eternal. <laughs> I mean, here's a shovel. Go take down a hill here nearby, let alone let's go to the Rocky Mountains with shovels and turn over the mountains. They might as well be eternal. They're, they're everlasting hills. And God shows up and those everlasting hills they tremble. They tremble. What is, what is astronomically large to us tremble in the sight of God. So large and so massive and immovable to a human with a shovel, they truly are eternal. And God makes the mountains shake. Verse 10 of our prayer here, the mountains see God and they writhe. Imagine a 
sorry for those of you who don't like worms or snakes, but imagine a pile of worms or snakes and they just writhe, they just, you know, they just coil. When the mountains see God, if they had eyes to see, it's a bit of a play with language there, but if they could see God, they writhe because of God's greatness in comparison to theirs. That is the awesomeness of this God. So the start of this prayer, Paul, or Paul, Habakkuk has this powerful accompanying statement about this awesome God. This God and all of his awesomeness and all of his greatness and your terror and, and, and what causes us to tremble in the midst of our trembling, in the midst of your wrath, remember mercy. In the midst of all this activity of this God who makes the mountains quake and the smoke to rise and he sends plagues and he sends pestilence and he divides the Red Sea and he, he leans the people of Israel into the promised land where they, where they wipe out the enemy to take over their own promised land. When, all of, when march around the walls of Jericho and the walls fall down of their own accord. When Joshua is fighting and he prays for the sun to stand still and it does so they can, the day is lengthened so they can defeat the armies, these great things that God has done, in the midst of that awesomeness, remember, he rem Habakkuk remembers and he calls God to remember, you are a God of mercy. In the midst of his wrath, he is also a God of mercy. So verse 16, where it ends, Habakkuk says, knowing this, I tremble before the greatness of God who works justice. I tremble and yet I wait quietly because I know that this God of wrath is a God of mercy for his people. Now, for some people, that causes a, quite a pause. Habakkuk has just heard that God is going to send his people into captivity under the cruel hand of the Chaldeans, right? And he says, hey, this is so sure Write it down and send it out with heralds. This is going to happen. Write the vision. Make it plainly on tablets that a herald may run who hears it because this is going to happen. Destruction is coming. How can he say that and then say, God, remember mercy? Because destruction, he knows, is coming. He is also not going to let the Babylonians get away with their transgression. He's going to bring judgment upon them. Judgment coming to Judah. Judgment coming to the Babylonians. How can Habakkuk talk about mercy? How can the Old Testament God, this is the objection I get from some people, how can the Old Testament God ever be described as a God having mercy? Look at all this judgment that's coming upon all these people. How can he ever be described as a God of mercy? Where is God's mercy? Well, I'll tell you where God's mercy is. In the midst of it all, God is having mercy upon his people. You look at all the judgment, all the wrath that's being poured out throughout the Old Testament. Don't forget there are a redeemed people that God is seeing over, that God is bringing to their appointed ends for their good and for his glory. That, and that is all predicated upon, that is all based upon not their deserving of God's favor, but upon his mercy. God, all throughout scripture, has a people whom he pours out his mercy upon. 
Where is the God of mercy? He's right here. Verse 13, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. God has worked on behalf of his people, his anointed. But today we hit a bit of a hiccup because we almost live as though, the, like if you could fill out a job description, you're, you're taking applications for God. And the job requirements are, well, your job is, well, you forgive people. Like that's God's job. God's job is mercy. That's what he's there for. God forgives. Why does God forgive? Well, that's just what he does. I mean, what else is he doing up there just chilling out for all of eternity? What's he else is he going to do? Is that he's, just, he's a God of forgiveness. That's just what he does. He's in the forgiveness business. Well, can I say, he is. He is in the forgiveness business. That's not the only business that he's in, though. He is also in the business of justice. God is in the justice business. He is in the business of things reaching their appointed ends. And that is a thing we all appreciate. We, don't, we want a just world. If it was God's singular job to have mercy on everyone, regardless of repentance, regardless of their trusting and worshiping Him, then forgiveness, in that example, wouldn't be mercy or grace. It would be getting your due. If God was obligated, if His job was to give mercy or to give forgiveness, then it wouldn't be mercy or grace. It would be getting our due. If you sign a contract with an employer, it says, I'll do this amount of work for this amount of dollars, when payday rolls around and you get your check, you do not think, what a merciful employer. They gave you what you were owed, right? In fact, if it's wrong, you go to them and you say, I don't want your mercy. I want you to honor your contract. I want justice. <laughs> we agreed X amount of dollars for X amount of work. I want what I'm owed. You don't say, have mercy on me and pay me what I deserve. But we, we, take, then we take that idea that that it is what we are owed forgiveness. Likewise, if you violated this contract, maybe you didn't do the work, you don't go to the employer, and then if he gives you the pay, you don't say, thank you for giving me what you owed me. You say, thank you for being merciful and giving me what I didn't deserve. That's mercy, right? That's grace. It is getting what you don't deserve. That's mercy, that is grace, and that is what God has done for his people. God doesn't owe you anything for your sin but justice. God doesn't owe the, Jude, the people of Judah anything but justice. He doesn't owe the Babylonians anything for their sin but justice. If forgiveness comes your way, it is an incredible mercy. It is an incredible grace. Because there's no obligation on his part to do it whatsoever. This is what Habakkuk is rejoicing in. Because he sees judgment coming to, to his people. He sees judgment coming for the Chaldeans. But he remembers Habakkuk 2.4 because he just said it. He remembers the righteous shall live by faith. That there is mercy for God's people. Who are God's people? Those who look to him with faith. 
those who are trusting him, that even in the midst of incredible justice, even incredible judgment, they are looking to him, trusting in his mercy and in his, in his grace. Specifically seen now on this side of the cross, he talks about the salvation of your anointed, which is very interesting language. But, but in today's world, we're able to look back onto the cross of Jesus Christ and see the pouring out of God's justice upon the Savior so that God's people, all who look to him, the just shall live by faith. We spent a, a whole Sunday talking about that. The just shall live by faith. Faith in Christ, his work on the cross. They receive no longer justice, but they receive mercy. We ought to remember the trembling that there should be before this mighty God. Habakkuk prays, God, in your wrath, remember mercy, and then he lays out the holiness, the greatness of this God. There, God in, um, God's greatness should for us always be a cause for trembling. His greatness, his majesty, his holiness, his power. We are not owed anything. And there's a sense in which it should produce in us a trembling. But we ought to also remember God's mercy upon his people. If you short side the trembling, then the mercy doesn't really seem like anything that great. It seems like God's job. But if you tremble before this God who's over top of everything, who owes his creation nothing, but in his mercy forgives. In his mercy sends his son to live the righteous life we should have lived and die the death that we deserve so that through repentance and faith in Christ's work, we could be forgiven and adopted into his family. Beautiful mercy. Romans 5 would be a great place to go that talks about this very reality that in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. It was not for those who were owed forgiveness that he died for. It was for those who actually didn't deserve it, yet he dies. Verse 6 of Romans 5, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. It isn't that the wrath of God doesn't exist or that justice doesn't exist anymore. It's that in Christ we are rescued from it. We tremble before him in his awesomeness and we worship him for his mercy. Is this the way that you know God? Is, this, is Habakkuk's view your view? If not, if we don't tremble like Habakkuk trembled, which is kind of sometimes our goal, like we don't want to be uncomfortable. We hate being uncomfortable. We hate, there's that catchphrase, get out of your comfort zone. One of the scariest, one of the easiest way to get out of your comfort zone, contemplate the holiness and righteousness of God. There's getting out of your comfort zone when you see yourself clearly in light of his greatness and perfection. Getting out of our comfort zone. We don't want to do that. But if you don't get out of that comfort zone, 
God and his glory and his holiness and our trembling place before him, then your joy and his gracious mercy will be a stranger to you. How does this impact our discipleship? Ask yourself, who is your life centered around? Who provokes you to worship? The trembling before this awesome God who could do whatever he wanted to do and in his mercy and grace he saves sinners. Who's worth your worship? Where, where does your joy come from? The things of this life that are fading and passing? Or in the God who in his benevolence and in his mercy sent a sacrifice that you could be forgiven and made righteous before him and given eternal life? You don't want the greatness of this God thundering after you with his wrath. Repent. Run to his mercy. See his grace for sinners and the work of his son on the cross. Tremble at his greatness and worship him for his mercy. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful and I, I, I ask for help in this. Our, my feeble mind has a hard time even comprehending the greatness of the God who made, as we look out into the heavens uh, of solar systems and stars and galaxies and multiples of galaxies, the God who stands over it and has its measure. It's mind-boggling. Your greatness, your righteousness, your perfections, and God, before you, we can do nothing but tremble. And yet, we do, as our hymn that we sang this morning, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, whose mercy has been poured out upon us. And because of that, we are able to give you the glory. Great things you have done. Great things you have done. And as we go to communion this morning, God, I pray that we would come with that in mind. This is gift, this is grace, this is mercy that your son would give himself for us. And God, may we tremble before your greatness and worship you for your mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.